Welcome to Top Score from Classical Minnesota Public Radio. I'm Emily Reese. Two of the scariest games available come from EA and Visceral Games, Dead Space and Dead Space 2. The score, composed by Jason Graves, adds to the tension and anxiety as the player moves through a mining ship in space that's lost communication with Earth. The main character, Isaac Clark, arrives to discover the ship's inhabitants infected with an alien scourge, a scourge that turns humans into monstrosities named necromorphs. Jason's score for the first game ended up winning best score from the British Academy of Film and Television. Dead Space 2 came out in January, and Jason's music for that game is again receiving rave reviews. Thank you so much for making time in your schedule to do this. Um, I must admit right from the start that I've not played Dead Space because I'm way too chicken to do it. (laughs) So I don't know if you've had a chance to play through it or if you even do play the games that you write for. By the time I finish the job, I've probably been through the game at least 10 or 12 times. So usually by the time it ships, the last thing I want to do is play through it again. If I'm working on a sequel like Dead Space 2, I actually did go back and play through the whole Dead Space. It was neat to see it, you know, without the the bugs and crash errors and the kind of things that are um, just pervasive when you're working on a, a game in progress. But usually if I'm playing games that are finished, it's stuff that I haven't worked on just so that I can get a new perspective. What was the experience like writing for the second game compared to the first? Well, for the first game... Everything was unknown as far as what I was doing. Everything I did with that score was really a first-time thing for me. And I know a lot of people in games and film and television, and I would call up or email folks just to get, you know, I'm thinking about recording this music kind of before the music's being written. Like, can I get all these effects and textures and crazy horror-sounding kinds of non-musical sounds from the orchestra? You know, has anyone recorded those standalone, you know, for a couple of days and then gone back and kind of pieced it together and tried to create a soundtrack from it. And nobody really had. And that's how the entire first score was built. So even though I worked on it for about uh, 20 months, I think, um, probably 18 of those months were just sheer panic and terror on my part, (laughs) just because I really didn't know if it would work or not. Um, And even if technically it would work, I didn't know if it would come off as a convincing, you know, orchestral performance. Mm Mm-hmm. Once the first game came out and and the the audio and the music, you know, didn't get completely blasted. Not at all. Actually got some positive. It got some positive recognition. So I kind of thought, well, at least from a technical standpoint, it, it, it seemed to have worked okay. So I was able to relax as far as the technicality goes on Dead Space 2. The creative, however... I seem to be embarrassingly hard on myself when it comes to starting a new job, especially if it's a sequel to something I've already done. It's just like a band with a second album. You know, their first album was a much bigger hit than they expected. And Mm -hmm. how do you do the second one without isolating the fans of the first one, but keep yourself, you know, creatively inspired? So I I was more terrified this time from a creative standpoint, (laughs) (laughs) you know, both in, in serving the game, which is always my first goal, but also keeping it fresh, doing something different, but not so different that it didn't sound like it belonged in the Dead Space universe. 
So let me get this straight then, just to, to <laughs> go over this again. For the first score, you recorded uh, bits and pieces of sound and, and put them all together into a score for the complete score for the first Dead Space. That's correct. The reason we did it that way, the, the, what makes the music so great in, in any game is the implementation mm-hmm. and having it be as interactive as possible. And especially with horror, it's really important that you have the music come in and start and stop, you know, make you jump, make you suspenseful on the edge of your seat. You got to, the timing has to be just right. So in order for the music to be truly interactive, I essentially delivered like four stereo pieces of music that kind of all play at the same time, but they turn up or turn down depending on what's going on in the game. And in order to do that, we needed to have those four independent tracks recorded separately. So either we had a choice of you know, recording two hours of music times four because I'd have to record each track into four splits, basically. Sure. Which means we had to record, you know, eight hours of music, which is just, no one's going to do that with a live orchestra for a movie, let alone a game. So my idea was, well, let's let's record all this stuff beforehand and get it all, you know, independent and separated. And then I'll go back to my studio and listen to it and cut it up and I'll kind of stack it in the game and make it sound like, you know, the orchestra is playing in real time. And basically it's almost like I'm conducting. So you're walking down the hall, you're getting close to a doorway and I'm, you know, moving my hands in front of the string players, having them get louder and they're, you know, this crazy sound keeps building up and you stop and you turn back around, you walk away from the door. I tell the string players to get quieter. And, you know, all this time the the percussion and brass are doing something as well that isn't interacting with your movements in the door. That's why it's important to have everything separate. And um, it, it ended up working great, but I, I didn't know, you know, going into it if, mm-hmm. it would, if it would work at all. Right, and it ended up working well enough for you to win a BAFTA, British Academy of Film and Television Arts Award, yes? Yes, which was a complete shock, honestly. <laughs> um, now, the audio got nominated as well for a BAFTA, and I was really expecting that to win because the audio team just did such a great job and Mm -hmm. there's so much music in the first dead space that you wouldn't even recognize as music it's almost like a room tone but it's a really creepy unnerving oh my gosh why do i feel uncomfortable sounding room tone a lot of that came from the organic performances of the of the strings and brass just playing things that you wouldn't normally hear if you were at a pops concert you know with your with your local orchestra and the sound design of the music, plus all the other creature sounds and the, the space effects, the voiceover acting, everything was just put together so well. I was fairly confident that the use of audio award was kind of a dead ringer for Dead Space. The score, I, I figured something else would win. So you know, I was the only one from the team in London, so I accepted the use of audio award and thanked everybody and kind of made a little 30-second statement about what I did for the music. And when they called my name for the music, I didn't have anything else left to say, <laughs> which I think is what I ended up saying on the stage. Oh, how funny. It, it, was a, it was a surprise, but obviously a welcome one. loved music. 
one way or another. Originally, I was going to be uh, like a band director in high school because I had a really great relationship with my band director in high school. And I figured I love music. If I could get paid to do anything with it, that would be great. So I went into college as an education major and quickly decided I'd rather teach on a college level, you know, maybe get my doctorate in music and be a composer in residence somewhere because then I could compose as well as teach. About a year after that, I decided that I wanted to try to do film and television music. And at the time, music for games didn't really have the notoriety that it does now. Right. So I um, you know, finished my undergraduate degree in music composition and, and percussion performance. I was a drummer originally, which I, I think on a subliminal psychological level has affected me ever since I got out of school, feeling like kind of the inferior mentally challenged, you know, Jason beat drums, Jason like rhythm. Um, and, and as a result, you know, I've gone out of my way to really study classical music and orchestration and, and, and deconstruct it. I'm, I'm big into, into deconstruction. My background in undergrad was actually mostly 20th century music. My composition professor, that's kind of was his thing. Um, but he also was the director of a steel band, and he directed the electronic music ensemble, and he directed the the Mideast African percussion ensemble. And I was in all of these things, and I already loved all that stuff. So in a way, he kind of helped me continue to following, you know, world music, uh, uh, acoustic percussion stuff, um, anything with electronic music and keyboards and, you know, triggering things off of uh, MIDI electronic percussion. So when I went to... Um, the University of Southern California, they had a film and television program then. Now it includes games. Mm-hmm. I really didn't have any background whatsoever in traditional film music scoring other than, you know, maybe I could correctly voice a four-part Bach chorale <laughs> because I, I learned that in music theory in school. Mm-hmm. But I had this complete, you know, estranged left and right musical education. One side was completely, you know, John Cage, 20th century stick a pencil in the organ and let the note ring until someone pulls it out and that's my piece. And the other side was, you know, four-part harmony with a, with a chorale or something. So there was, there was nothing in between. I had to jump in head first and just start studying anything I could get my hands on, again, with that whole drummer mentality. Mm-hmm. I knew nothing about orchestration, really nothing about, um, you know, practical composition as far as, you know, how to build suspense and, and right before the chase scene starts or something like that. So that's actually when my my real music education began. I just started studying scores. I mean, scores are like cookbooks to recipes. Who specifically did you study or did you just grab whatever you could and just kind of ingest it that way? At the beginning, it was John Williams. Um, I mean, he's, I think without a doubt the most classically influenced composer in film. Um, and he had just started releasing these, uh, a series of scores called the Signature Series. So it would be, you know, the, the end titles from Raiders of the Lost Ark or, you know, the Imperial March from Empire Strikes Back. I mean, it was really eye-opening to me. I mean, you know, the Imperial March, I looked at it and I was like, oh, it's trombones and trumpets and octaves. I had no idea that was how that was voiced. but. Once I realized the combination, I could hear it in different classical pieces all over the place. So that was how it started. When I first started the first Dead Space, I wanted to figure out how to get the most 
unexpected, unrecognized sounds from the orchestra that, that I could find. So I went back and started listening to even more 20th century stuff. And one of the composers that popped up immediately was Penderecki, who's a Polish composer. Serenity for the Victims of Hiroshima is a big piece that kind of put him on the map. If you listen to it, you'll go, oh, wow, that sounds like Dead Space, because I'm using a lot of the same kinds of techniques. And he really pioneered a lot of these kind of avant-garde chance music, is what it's called, kinds of techniques, where you don't necessarily have a specific thing written out for the performer. It'll just say, play these five notes as quickly as possible, or play your highest note possible as loud as you can. Those kind of abstract ideas were basically what I researched for about eight months before I started working on the first Dead Space. So I was completely entrenched in this 20th century, you know, kind of idiom of language and harmony. And the only real trick was to figure out how to put it in front of the orchestra where I didn't have to stand and explain for 20 minutes what it is they were doing. It was the the unusual performances that I really picked up on when I was studying, you know, Penderecki or Ligeti or um, some of the more non-conventional composers. They're, they're using sounds and sound mass and textures more than they are harmony. And that, that really appealed to me because I like the idea of having the music play in a game and not even realizing it was music. But then it starts moving and, and shifting and it's obviously not a room tone, but, but what is it? Maybe you don't even realize it on a conscious level, but it puts the player in immediate discomfort, which of course was my ultimate goal. Space 2 is drastically different construction than the first Dead Space. So what caused that creative shift for you? Normally with games, a composer is lucky if they are on the last three months of the production cycle where, okay, we've, it's almost like a film. We've got three months. We need an hour and a half of music. We're going to record with the orchestra at the end and go. And, you know, it's this race to the finish. Um, with Dead Space, the first one, it was a 20-month period. And that wasn't to say that I was working the whole time, but I'd do five minutes, and then they'd come back three weeks later. I'd do another eight minutes. They'd come back a month later. It was an on-again, off-again approach, which allowed me time to gain perspective on the music because that kind of stuff really grates on you if you listen to it, you know, for six months in a row. (laughs) And also, you know, think up new ideas of what I wanted to do with the orchestra next you know, I did the same thing for Dead Space 2, and I had the complete script before I even started. I mean, it was just like a movie. I could wow. read the script. I could see the plot. I knew the characters, and I knew I wanted to do a string quartet because I wanted to do something different, and EA kept asking for a bigger-sounding score. And I thought, well, how? T- I mean, that the, the really chaotic stuff in Dead Space 1, that's about as big as I think I can get. And I realized that maybe on a psychological level, I could make the music sound bigger by making it sound smaller beforehand. So if I used a quartet, which is a very, you know, intimate, naked 
you know, completely um, unprotected music source, once the big orchestra hit, you know, it would seem that much bigger. And once the quartet came back in, it would seem that much smaller. So you had this great dichotomy, and they would kind of feed off of each other. And that was all from the, the plot of the game. And I knew that there were these kind of character-defining moments in the script that would allow me, I hoped, to use string quartet and, you know, and, and not have it just be complete horror all the time. I mean, actually do something a little more tonal that gave you some compassion um, for, for Isaac as he was going through of all this. And I think that's one of the things that's so startling is that those very opening notes of that string quartet draw you in. And even though uh, you've got that tritone motive that happens at the end of the, those four notes, it's, mm-hmm. it still brings you in and, and you almost feel kind of, I don't want to say safe, but it certainly is shocking what comes after that. <laughs> it lulls you into a false sense of security. That's what I loved. And the interesting thing is, the very opening of the game, it's the very opening of the, the Lacrimosa piece that I wrote. It's got you know all four players playing this A and kind of bending the note up and down very slowly or changing to solpanticello or doing a tremolo. And, you know, it's this naturally evolving kind of sound, but it, it takes like a minute for all these things to happen. And it, it's kind of peaceful, yet slightly creepy. And exactly. it was actually a permutation of this one effect that I recorded for the first Dead Space which, you know, the strings are just going, I'm just barely bending a pitch. And it ended up getting used all over the place in the game. And they used it a lot in Dead Space 2 as well. But I only recorded a couple of snippets of that. You know, I, I score a game the way I would score a film. It's about the psychological kind of motivation behind whoever it is that you're playing in the game. So that was my sound for kind of Isaac's, you know, paranoia or unease uh, being on this strange huge spaceship and trying to figure out you know what was what was going on so uh, he experiences dementia in dead space 2 because he's got these you know he's his mind's infected with the marker and i won't go into it more than that um (laughs) but I, i pitched to them the idea of using it just in the quartet because the quartet is you as the player and i i didn't know if they would go for any of this stuff After the first one came out, um, the music and the audio got a lot of attention, and this time around, EA just kind of said, yeah, um, just do that again, you know, but but better for the sequel. So that's why I was pitching all of these ideas, kind of, you know, crossing my fingers that EA would go for it. Um, mm-hmm. and, and in those kind of techniques, you know, they're subtle. In video games, uh, subtle isn't really a word that you hear normally with video games. And string quartet is definitely... Not expected, I think, which is one of the reasons I love it. And then by chance or or blood, sweat, and tears, probably a little bit of both, you know, the string quartet ended up working really well in the game, and EA never never pulled a thing or made any changes or anything like that. And I think 
a lot of credit is due to them because, I mean, it's a little risky. The scariest game ever made, Dead Space 1, the sequel's coming out, and you've got the string quartet music that's, like, actually pretty sometimes. I mean, really? That's what we're going to put on our game that's supposed to be really scary? But they did, which is great. The Lacrimosa track is going to be performed by the London Philharmonia, is that correct? We had um, the, the UK premiere of Dead Space 2 last month, and... That was when we had also the world premiere of the piece, yes. And I had the principal players from the London Philharmonia. I've recorded with them before in London. Just incredible, incredible musicians. It was really cool. I mean, it was like any other game premiere. They had posters and you could play the game and different people spoke. But from my knowledge, this was the first time we actually had a live performance um, of you know, part of the score at the premiere. And what was cool is we didn't need to have a huge orchestra. It was just four players and having some scary effects and stuff in there. So I, you know, kept the the big theme at the end and had a lot of scary effects in the middle. And I think people got a kick out of it because you could see the string players, you know, playing this stuff. And it's a lot different when you see musicians sitting in front of you and you hear this ungodly sound coming out of their instruments. It's like, wow, how are they even doing that? It was It was a lot of fun. The Lacrimosa piece was actually born out of the opportunity of extra time on the scoring stage with the string quartet. We only needed about two hours to record the the small pieces in the game, and we had an extra hour. And I knew about four weeks before the session we would have this extra hour with, I mean, literally, the players are paid for by union rules. They're just going to be sitting there. So I wrote this piece that was about 12 minutes long and just kind of free of the confines of the game You know, it's kind of like a a concert piece. It's got three movements, and it's pretty much a a string quartet concerto. And um, the great thing was it ended up going over so well with EA that I kind of took it back and cut it up and reused it throughout the game. So it ended up being implemented into the game as well. But the standalone piece is what's available um, in, in various guises on the, uh, the soundtrack releases. The full version is on my website. Excellent. Well, we will definitely direct listeners to that because it's, it's a gorgeous piece. It's absolutely gorgeous. And I love the little surprise at the end. <laughs> <laughs> that got me. Okay, good, good. <laughs> Your music is fantastic. I've been playing it for a lot of people and I'm just really in awe of what you managed to do for a terrifying video game that I can't even play. It's so terrifying. <laughs> well, so uh, very well done, Jason. Thank oh, you. Thank you. been listening to Top Score from Classical Minnesota Public Radio. Next week, we talk with Gary Scheiman, writer of scores for Bioshock and Bioshock 2. Our technical director is Sam Keenan, and we had additional technical support from Rob Byers. I'm Emily Reese. For a link to download full tracks from both Dead Space scores, visit classicalmpr.org slash topscore.
it. Um, do it again. Yeah. And when you when you get to the the, the kind of monstrosities called necromorphs or whatever. Yeah. Uh, hit necromorphs a little harder. It sounds like you kind of passed by. It. I totally did. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat>